Hello and welcome to episode 183 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James. Uh, Paul is not here. He's perpetually moving and isn't able to join us this week, but we do have Ryan back and a special guest, uh, Steve Karsinski, joining us. So this should be fun to get you two back together again. I'm like, Paul's got lower back tightness, so you call me in. I'm the Jace Peterson. There you go. There you go. Pinch hitter, mid-inning replacement here for, for Paul. Guys and, who, whose name you don't really believe exists. There you go. There you go. And, you know, we've started this video chat like 10 minutes ago, and they've already fought a couple of times. So this is going to be a, a fun fun episode to listen to. So <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, before we get going, a reminder that you can help support us and the podcast by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash tailgate. Two bucks a month gets you question priority here on the podcast. And for five bucks a month, you get the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson. You also get some reporting as eligible Packers mini pods from Paul throughout the Packers off season. Uh, so before today's game, we're recording this Sunday night. I, I had thought we'd go in a completely different direction with this podcast, talking about how bad the offense was and all that stuff. And then the past couple of days in St. Louis happened and they scored just about as many runs as they had all season, 18 runs in two days. And I think it was, what, 20 runs through the first six or seven games? Through the first seven, uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, so uh, obviously uh, maybe our perception shifted a little bit over the weekend here in St. Louis. You know, plenty of hand-wringing over the first couple of series. But I guess let's start. Uh, Ryan, is this kind of more along the lines of the team you expected to see? Is this just... Uh, happenstance thing what are your thoughts on what's going on with the offense right now well I think we should have expected it to swing back and forth quite a bit one because it's baseball and baseball does that and two just the way that this offense is constructed I think is going to lead itself to being a little bit more streaky that way where when the power is clicking you're going to see the runs scored just because they aren't a huge contact team and so they are reliant on on home runs and that gets a bad rap. And that, you know, is a, one of those controversial things that people, especially old school types, really dislike. But it is the way offense is now. And the Brewers are just an exemplar of that. So somewhere in the middle is what they really are. And they offensively right now. So they're at four point two runs per game. And that's just a bit above the the National League average. National League average coming into the day was oh, I lost it, but it was it's in the high threes. So they're they're slightly above average offense on the season as a whole right now. And if they can maintain this where they've they've scored four point two per game and they're allowing three point seven. If they do that for the season, they're a playoff team. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's it, it's funny how you guys, you know, before the season, everybody's talking about how uh, St. Louis was just about the worst offensive ballpark to play in. You know, it kills home runs. What's it going to do to Nola <laughs> right. right. So, you know, it makes total sense that the Brewers find their power stroke once they get into St. Louis in early April, you know, when the ball really flies. Exactly. Yeah. Well, what was funny about it is there were a bunch of balls that did seem to just sort of die in the outfield deep shots, especially by the Cardinals this weekend seem to have some stuff die at the warning tracks where the brewers were just hitting bombs. Like they were just tanking balls out of the ballpark and it, it didn't matter what park they were in for a lot of those shots. So yeah, Jackie Bradley was uh, busy by the wall on quite a few catches, I mm -hmm. think through the weekend. 
Bradley was. I feel like Kane was a little bit yesterday too. Yeah. Yeah. And no, no doubt about the Brewers ones though. They were several rows back in the, in those bleachers and, you know, Avi Garcia already matched his home run total from last year. So, so that's good. I guess, Steve, is that one of the more encouraging things you've seen so far? Or I, I guess one of the, the encouraging signs you've seen? I mean, it, it's good to see Garcia hitting. Um, you know, we were obviously hoping for a better performance that we got from him last year. But I think Narvaez is the guy right now that's standing out to me like, oh, this is closer to the bat. I think that the Brewers hope that they acquired last year. Um, and they're actually seeing it right now with with a little bit more power. Um, you know, and if you if you can combine that, with the the better defensive um play he had last year which i don't know i think it's kind of questionable it seems like a lot of balls are are scooting away uh from the catchers right now but at least his offense is playing well enough that it's like well you know that's what what he was acquired for so i think that that's the most encouraging thing and then yeah garcia in the past two days but it's not like garcia has been playing well for the entire season it was this series he he kind of started to get it together no i mean coming into today i'm looking at his baseball reference page right now he was 78 ops plus so he was 22 percent below the league average ops right. so he wasn't though if you look at narvaez he's at a 246 ops plus so <laughs> yeah 146 percent above the league average don't expect him to uh, carry a 455 batting average for too much longer that seems unlikely no, yeah. but the power yeah. is good to see, and that's what we didn't see last year at right. all and expected. Yeah, and you're also seeing a decent number. I mean, he has, uh, let's see, 25 plate appearances, and he's got a four strikeouts to three walk ratio. If he does that all season, uh, be doing cartwheels. Right, and I think Travis Shaw is another one to kind of mention, too, you know, specifically this weekend, but even before that, he's actually been probably one of the more steady bats, right? So... Uh, looking a little bit more, at least through three series, so, of course, grain of salt, uh, you know, looking more like the 2017-2018 version of Travis Shaw as opposed to the totally broken 2019 version that got him chased out of town, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. And to be fair, really, he has been much more like that 2017-2018 guy for more of his career at this point because he didn't play a full season in 2019, he lost so much playing time down the stretch. And then in 2020, it was a shortened season. It was even shorter for him. He missed some time in there. So he barely even had a full season's worth of plate appearances between 2019 and 2020 combined. Right. Yeah, obviously, you know, smaller sample sizes there. But Shaw's also been one of those guys where it was always just kind of seen as a platoon bat. So, you know, it was a little harder to buy into him. But I mean, this is a guy that's had 30 home run power before. And, you know, if the Brewers can get that this year, especially with Keston Hira struggling to start the year, he's kind of helped kind of buoy the offense a little bit as, as much as it was. But hey, Keston's got a home run now too so maybe he'll start to come around too he but needed that so bad that was yeah. just like he was on it felt like the verge of like collapsing you just felt terrible for him after the the error that he made that scored those runs yeah and he stung a couple balls before he hit that home run so he seemed to be on it um but yeah it was good to finally see him get on the board there especially it's bled into the field with him too. I mean, yeah, it, he buckered one on Saturday. It was real bad. It's it's all around. It's not just throwing errors. Like he was just whiffing on stuff that were pretty routine plays, ground balls to first base. And yeah. I mean, I know people like to laugh at the whole 
uh, money ball scene uh, in the movie <laughs> where, um, oh, who was it? Who's the manager? I'm trying to think of Washington. Well, he's he wasn't the manager. He was the first base coach at the time. Yeah, there's yeah, Bill, when, Billy being around Wash. Tell him Wash. Yeah, it's, when, it's when Wash says it's incredibly hard. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's still first base, and he knows how to you know pick a ground ball. So we get, we got to get that together. But yeah, it was good to see that home run. Um, and Kessin Kessin swinging a little bit better in that final day before he got an off day on Sunday. Right. And, you know, with, with Hira kind of struggling at first base it, and, uh, you know, some of the other infielders kind of struggling, it was kind of out of nowhere. The Brewers ended up trading Orlando Arcia this week. So wanted to talk about that because, you know, obviously it's something that, you know, we've kind of talked about for a while, whether or not they should move on from Arcia, when it would happen, especially with Urias taking a lot more time at shortstop in spring. And, you know, over the past couple of years, you know, Craig Council and David Stern sounding less than pleased with Arcia's development. So, you know, it, it kind of felt like it was going to happen eventually, but I guess didn't expect it to happen in the, you know, first week of the season after games are already starting to be played, right? So um, I guess first, let's let's go, Ryan. Your, your impressions, were you kind of taken aback by Arcia getting traded or what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was completely blown away. It was very, very strange. And it was one of those things where I turned my phone on and looked and I just was taken aback by it, mostly because trades just don't happen that early in the season very often. You don't see hardly anybody move unless it's like literally a, you know, player to be named later situation. A a guy's just being dumped off a roster. They're clearing space. And this wasn't that. The Braves gave up legitimate arms to get. Arcia from the Brewers. So mm-hmm. they gave up some some guys that I think are going to play a role in this team's future. And anytime you see the Brewers targeting arms, especially big arms, you have to think that like they know who these guys are. They have a very detailed scouting report on them and they went after them for a specific reason. So anytime the Brewers get a pitcher at this point, you basically should just be like expecting a breakout. <laughs> Throw them in the pitching lab and and they evolve, right? Well, yeah. Or I, they just <laughs> they know something about them that that led them to target them. This had to be more of a, a a trade where somebody Atlanta swooped in and offered them something they just couldn't turn down, and real they realized that they were getting something that they really wanted here. Because I can't see how they were in like a huge hurry to move RC at this point. I I don't see what the the rationale was unless it was just like he was really unhappy not having a steady role and they needed to get him off the team. And that seems well, and they, hard to believe. They, they they were probably working on this during spring training as well. This was not like the season started and that was the first phone call. Sure. Yeah. I'm sure these things, the groundwork for stuff has been laid. Yeah. Oftentimes, you know, six months in advance. Right. And you know, the Braves were in a spot where they needed some infield depth after the first week, the Brewers kind of needed a roster spot for a fresh arm to get Brad Boxberger on the roster too. So it was kind of fortunate timing in that regard, but also unfortunate timing because as soon as they trade Orlando Arcia, Colton Wong goes on the injured list with the oblique, right? So I guess any concerns, Ryan, about the infield depth now with Arcia gone? Yeah, it, it's definitely a concern. They're going to need to do something else. It did make me wonder how close they think Terang is. And it may be that they think he's closer than we realize. And they may be looking at him as somebody that they think could play a role for them later this year. 
after he gets some some plate appearances in the minor league season once that actually starts. So I was kind of wondering if maybe that was part of it. But then I remembered, well, Jace Peterson came up and they do seem to really like Jace Peterson, don't they? It's weird. He can't hit, but I, I've seen, you know, Jack Stern from Prue Crew Ball jokes. Like there's something about Jace Peterson where he can't hit, but pitchers just lose the ability to throw strikes to him. And he just draws a ton of walks. It's weird, but I mean, dude gets on base. So he pulls the Eddie Goodell and he just like he gets really yeah, small. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh so we do have our first Patreon question. And Steve, I wanted to save this one for you because it's from Jay Google. So there you go. Again, he's asking, <laughs> are you concerned about the infield options now with just Urias and Robertson as basically the shortstop options? Fucking Jay, I tell you, this guy. <laughs> and there's the explicit tag. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's always concern about the infield depth, especially when, like, you know what's really disappointing, I think, is when you see the defensive contributions of Colton Wong in, like, the first week. Literally right. the first week, you could see this major difference. And uh, I, I think that was... I mean, you don't want to say, like, that's the only reason the pitchers are pitching well. But you can see the reason for bringing in a player like that when you want to basically protect, you know, Woodruff and Burns and Peralta. And even, like, you know, if Hauser's really inducing a lot of ground balls, it's like, hey, let's support these, you know, young guys on the mound. Um, so I think that's where, like, it's it's concerning because – I mean, is there truly a replacement for that that part of Wong's game? Because he wasn't really hitting. It's not like a different bat in the lineup is going to change that dynamic for the team at the moment, you know, from what they saw. Um, but I, you know, I think his glove in the field uh, with the with the young pitchers, you know, again, I think that made such a big difference up the middle. Um, it, that's going to be tough to cover, and you were, and you're not going to replace that anyways because the guy is one of the premier defensive second basemen in the league. Yeah, and they're going to be really careful with him, just like they're being really careful with Yelich and Shaw. They pulled him from the game today on Sunday, and they're just going to be really, really careful with guys at this point because they know it's a long season. They know they're going to be pushing guys. Guys are going to hit a wall, I would guess, sometime sort of midsummer, where it's like really pushing it past where they've been because they, they didn't do this last year. So they're going to be really careful and it is what they should do. It was really nice to see that they had such a quick hook on both Yelich and Shaw on Sunday because they, they need that. They have to keep guys healthy. And so being as careful as possible is good. Does anyone else have a fantasy baseball team that within one week is already using like, or, or needs like 10 IL spots. Like it's across <laughs> the league guys are going down and getting uh, put on the IL like right away. So those concerns coming into the season, you know, like, oh, teams are really worried about how they're going to cover the innings just across the board. Um, I think we're seeing it already. And, yeah, I don't know if it, it's teams are being cautious or if it really is, you know, players are having a difficult time adjusting to everything that happened last season and then basically getting ready for 162 games again this year. Um, you know, I, we're already seeing – that storyline play out in literally a week. Right. And just kind of goes to show that the Brewers, you know, their focus on depth was, is, might really pay off here. Right. You know, we saw that today where 
Yelich should get pulled in the second or third inning. You can just put Jackie Bradley in and feel pretty good about that too. You know, they've also got some infield depth. They really like Robertson, uh, even post Arcia, you know, being gone there. There's still a decent amount of depth there. They can slide Vogelbach into first base and play here at second. If they have to, you know, they, they might be better set up now to cover some of that. But now that I say that, <laughs> who knows what's going to happen Vogelbach. in the next week? Yeah. yeah. They're going to have to tell Vogelbach, don't go running across the diamond because yeah, depth is getting slim. And uh, <laughs> he's the kind of guy that could easily go down. Uh, right. I think with an injury, like, Hey, be the big lug that just stands on the bag. Right. There you go. Or he'll take like a pitcher out trying to cover first or something. Oh, like that. yeah, exactly. When him and Narvaez were both chasing that ball this week, I thought oh. there was going to be death and mayhem. Like I I legitimately thought we were going to be seeing like readings on the Richter scale because that looked yeah. really, really ugly for a second there. Yeah. All right. Uh, I guess on the topic of the infield and the depth, we kind of mentioned Kesson here continued to struggle, especially, you know, at least before Saturday where, he, like Steve said, he stung a couple balls with, finally saw his first home run, but, you know, obviously kind of heading into this weekend, he was one of the major storylines of the offense struggling, especially, you know, when he's being expected to be a key contributor. So we've got a lot of Patreon questions about here specifically. So I actually had to kind of build a Keston here, section of this show. So here we go into the Keston here, section of the program. Our first Patreon question comes from Jeffrey Emenecker. Uh, he says, he remembers when Gary Sheffield first came up with Milwaukee and to a lesser extent when Ricky Weeks came up, they both had incredible bat speed yet swung through pitches in the zone very often. Eventually both moved past it, especially Sheffield, obviously. He's wondering if Keston Hira has a similar bat path and should we be a patient, you know, especially because the Brewers weren't with Sheffield and he blossomed soon after. Also wondering if there's some specific adjustments they made or if it just came with more ABs with Sheffield in weeks. So I guess, Ryan, how do you feel about that comparison where, you know, obviously here has always been talked about as having really good bat speed, but he whiffs on a ton of stuff. Yeah, I mean, this was a... I am too young to really remember Sheffield specifically, like what he did as a brewer, especially because most of it wasn't on TV at that point. So it was really hard to actually see him. You just knew the stories, the kind of legend that was being passed on, (laughs) which, yeah, that's definitely problematic in some areas too. But anyway, yeah, it, I think that there probably is some comparison here to be made, especially with weeks who I do remember in very detailed, uh, uh, remembrances about the struggles that were going on there. And it was a matter of him needing to adjust and figure some things out. I think that Hira has shown a propensity for making adjustments. We saw it on his way up through the minors uh, already that he was able to do that. He would get to a new level and he would struggle and then he would figure it out and he would be able to move past that and move on. I think we're going to see that with him. I still think that underneath all this, the talent is there. But there may be some fairly significant changes that he's going to need to make to really move past the swinging and missing on pitches inside the strike zone. And I'm not enough of a baseball mechanic to know what that is. Steve probably has a little bit better insight on this than I do. But right now, it really is those high pitches. He's not hitting them, and he's not able to lay off of them, and he's got to figure that out. And that high fastball is just absolutely murdering him. 
and he has to figure out how to get past that. And until he does, he's going to be an offensive liability. And that's really hard to do if you're, one, at first base, and two, struggling defensively at first base. And you've got a team that's trying to contend. Those are all difficult things. So there's a, a good reason for concern here. And I don't know what exactly he needs to do to, to unleash it, but I do think he ultimately will. It's just a question of how long and what that process is going to look like. Well, I think it's also like what type of hitter does he look like at the end? Uh, is he going to have to sacrifice some of that power to get some of that contact uh, skill that he had when he was drafted? Um, you know, because we saw a big change in the minors. You know, it wasn't like he just added power. He, he did sacrifice contact on the way up as well. Um, but the power gain seemed to be worth it at the time. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting. I don't know what to do about those high, high fastballs and stuff like that. I mean, there are a lot of guys that struggle on those pitches. So, you know, again, like weeks where it was like, just stay away from that slider. Just mm -hmm. don't even offer at it. How much here is just going to have to learn that part of the zone. Um, you know, but uh, I th yeah, can he move? Can he work through it? Sure. I mean, the skills obviously there. I think his bat probably stays in the hitting zone a little bit longer than Weeks's did. Weeks was so quick; yeah. he just flicked right through it. He didn't really get that bat flattened out through the zone. I think to drive it, kind of have that like you get a little bit more room for air if you can flatten that bat a little earlier as it you know goes through the zone. Did Weeks have more of a grooved swing? than what Hira does. I think he kind of did. Like, he had one sort of bat path, and it worked for him to an extent because he was so capable of laying off bad pitches, and he, he had such good plate discipline and, and staying away from stuff that he couldn't hit for the most part. So he was able to work around that with having that groove swing, but I feel like Hira is a little bit more flexible than that, right? Well, we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. I mean, he yeah. also doesn't walk like Weeks did, too. He doesn't no. have that plate discipline. No. So. no, he doesn't. Right. So that'll be a challenge going forward, too. Uh, also, the defense is also a thing, and that leads us to our next question from James Vandenberg. Uh, obviously, you know, throwing was always an issue for him at second base, and that seems to have kind of continued at first base even. So James is asking, what's the more likely reason for Hira's throwing struggles? Is it a basic case of the yips? or some lingering arm issues from his college days. Seems like the DH can't come soon enough. I guess, Steve, what, what's your thoughts on Hira's defense? That, why is he just struggling so much to throw the ball specifically? Well, he's always been atrocious at throwing the ball. So, I mean, you're starting from a pretty uh, poor position to begin with. But I think clearly watching him, you know, over the weekend, um, you know, when he's airmailing stuff past second base, in a lot of cases, he's not clearing the runner before he makes that throw. So I think in a lot of cases, like the runners in his, his, you know, line to try to get to the bag instead of him basically moving to get a better path. Um, and, you know, he's trying to figure out a way to throw around a guy. Um, so I think some of that is, it's just a matter of footwork and learning first base a little bit more. I was going to say, that sounds like a reps thing, right? Like you need the reps there to get used to those things. Yeah, you just got Yeah, it's just that muscle memory of learning how to basically, you know, move to make those throws. I, you know, I think that's probably his biggest issue right now. Um, you know, I think the other problem for Hira is he's really got to keep his mechanics together because he's just not a good thrower. So, you know, some guys you'll see they're able to kind of like drop their arm and just sling it and, and they can still get it there. But I mean, again, that's part of where Hira's got to like 
you know, make sure he moves, moves around the guy on the path and then basically make a good throw, step into it and just guarantee that first out as opposed to assuming like the end result has to be a double play, like get that lead runner for sure. Yeah. So going back to the question specifically about the yips, you do wonder if maybe he has developed some mental blocks and some bad habits in terms of throwing where he's not trusting himself to throw because he did not go through Tommy John surgery. He like went through the PRP thing and did that instead. So he didn't actually have Tommy John surgery. So he still has a partially torn ligament in his elbow. And you wonder if that's sure. like a thought that's in the back of his head and causes him to do things differently. And I mean, he's been dealing with this now for, well, it was the year before he got drafted. So oh, like five seasons. So you wonder how much of that's the thing with the yips though, is you think like a guy does everything right. And he still can't get the ball there. Where, like I said, here has got some clear mechanical issues. I think that are they're feeding into this. So, I can they could probably fix it, you know, and it'll just take some time. You know, it is a weird throw when you're, especially you know, you're right-handed um, first baseman. You're used to playing, you know, on the rest of the infield where everything's a natural throw, and now every throw you have to make is basically unnatural. Um, he's just got to do it over and over a lot of reps um, if his arm can hold up for a lot of reps, I guess. Yeah. That was the one advantage Prince Fielder always had at first base defensively was at least he threw with his left hand. So he could right. make that work. Right. No, he didn't. <laughs> didn't he? Am I misremembering no. that? Was he you throw? Are. He was throw right bats. Oh, he was. That's right. He was. Who am I thinking now, of then? Sometimes it looked like he threw like a guy who throws right, but was throwing with his left. That's so, right, because his dad turned him around. He wasn't a natural lefty. He he learned how to hit lefty because his dad had him do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we talked about this maybe a little bit a few weeks ago too. But do you think like how much is the defense weighing on? Keston's offense you know there's obviously only so much practice time in reps for him to go around so if he's trying to get reps in at first base does that take away from his focus of adjusting what I he mean, has to he, do at the plate he had one of his worst defensive games the same day he had his best offensive game of the season sure so I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I mean it does seem like it he looks like when you see him, his face right now, he does not look like a happy person. He does not seem like he's, he's feeling he's confident. Yeah, yeah exactly. like this is, this is tough on him and he's not, he's struggling with it. So, but yeah, you're right. He did have his best offensive day of the day. He really butchered it in the field too. So, yeah. Yeah. And then he was off the next day. So, you know, we'll see how that, plays going forward yeah did but, you hey. see people getting really mad about that i as soon as i really? heard he wasn't in the lineup no i'm asking because normally people would be like well, we finally had a good day yesterday but he did have that awful defensive game so i i didn't see much of that no okay. and i didn't see well, much of people freaking out about yelich leaving early either so i guess that's good but i mean if anybody's followed you know craig council managing before I mean, he's he's very clearly said many times, like, this is a scheduled off day for, you know, whatever player, regardless mm -hmm. of what is going on for them in that week leading up to it. Right. And they want to get Vogelbach, you know, a start here or there, too, just to kind of keep him going, too. And that worked out today, too. He he 
had a good couple of hits there. So, okay. Our next uh, Patreon question is actually the second half of Jay's question. And I kind of broke it apart uh, just because this, this seems a little less timely now. Uh, Jay sent this before the weekend offensive explosion, but obviously before that, there was a lot of questions about just the Brewers approach hitting overall and kind of calling into question Andy Haynes's job security. So Ryan, Jay's question was, when does Andy Haynes as a hitting coach become an issue? It seems like since 2019, production has went down for a lot of hitters besides Arcia. So I guess I always hesitate to kind of have the referendum on the hitting coach nine games into the season. So I was a little reluctant to kind of jump on the Andy Haynes criticism, especially, you know, you saw Lorenzo Cain kind of jump to his defense early in the year too. What are your thoughts, I guess, on the hitting coach and how that does or doesn't affect what we've seen so far? As long as the players are still listening and they're still working through stuff and they haven't started tuning him out, or going away from what he's teaching. And as long as the the people above him see that and think that things are working, I don't think you make a change. And like you just said, the thing with Kane was what, exactly what I was going to bring up when he said, well, he's got my support. Like, I, I don't think you need to do that. And I mean, the thing is, to a large extent, hitting coaches and pitching coaches are hired to be fired when it's time to scapegoat someone for a unit underperforming, <laughs> right? Like that's, right. I mean, that's, that's the way it's always been. But I think that in some ways that isn't maybe as true as it used to be because you do seem to have much more of a, an organizational philosophy behind things now than maybe you did in the past. Like it's not just a hitting coach. That's like working with whatever player to try to fix whatever issue they have a philosophy and a plan and things they want to do organizationally, both on the hitting and the pitching side, maybe in ways that they didn't used to, to do that. And so I think that when you judge what Andy Haynes or, you know, Chris hook is doing, it's going to need to be viewed from a, a like a, a more uh, removed place. Like you're going to have to look at the big picture of it and see how they fit into what the overall team strategy is and what they, they want to do and want to get accomplished rather than just like what you're seeing in the moment. It, it's June. The answer is June. <laughs> <sighs> Write that one down. June. <laughs> The answer is June. The answer is June. I guess, yeah. So, you know, obviously nine games is a stupidly small sample size. But, Steve, you might have some people saying, well, they sucked all year last year, too. How much credence do you put in to last year? Or do you just kind of brush it aside, too? I I don't consider last year at all. It was such an odd year. There were so many guys across the league. And we focus on Brewers, obviously, because you're watching your own team. Um but there's so many guys across the league that underperformed last season that I, like you have to just completely throw it out. It is a completely just random arbitrary um, result for so many guys uh, that, you know, taking 2020 into any kind of account, I think is completely foolish, whether it was a great performance or a poor performance, you know, it's, it was 60 games. You can't take anything away from that. That's why it was so weird when the Dodgers from the World Series, because <laughs> right. they're like actually a good team that in 162 games, you'd say this is completely legitimate. And when they finally win one, it's in this just crazy ass season. Well, and especially with the expanded postseason, 
Like yeah. they had to go through an even extra layer of, you know, winning that stupid three game series to start where they could have potentially lost, though they were playing the Brewers. <laughs> right. Right. But I mean, as far as judging like a hitting coach or anything like that, I wouldn't I wouldn't hold 2020 against them at all. You know, there, there were issues with, you know, being able to watch a video during the game la- last season, you know, which a lot of guys, you know, Yelich in particular said that really affected his game. So, I, yeah, I wouldn't take anything away from that. Um, I mean, in 2019, you know, we'll see. It was just, you know, you got to give the guy a little bit of time. But, again, they're hitting coaches. You just kind of see what happens. And, you know, I think there's been enough change on the roster that it's always kind of hard to say, like, what's a hitting coach and what's a turnover? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Well, the answer is June. We'll remember that. <laughs> uh, next Patreon question comes from Ask the Town. We have tinfoil hat time, our favorite conspiracy corner portion of the podcast. Uh, so he says, judging from the pictures and social media posts, he's thinking the reason Travis Shaw was the Brewers' third base option was because of his friendship with Christian Yelich, so he could be a calming and supportive influence on him. The fact Travis Shaw is actually performing well so far is a bonus. I guess, Ryan, your takes on uh, Travis Shaw being Christian Yelich's professional best friend. Okay, so there is something to the idea that they liked Shaw as a clubhouse presence because that was something that they talked about back in 2018, 2019 about how him and Mustakis got along. And so the whole thing, it like wasn't a problem and how they just kind of everybody and the, everybody got along. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's completely like, it's not complete insanity, they they definitely felt comfortable with Shaw from a clubhouse standpoint, but no, I mean they brought him back because they thought he could hit, and they know he can play defense, so they were willing to to take a shot on that and realized that they needed a boost from the third base position, and he potentially provided that. Yeah, when you have hedge fund managers managing a baseball team, <laughs> I, I don't think they're going to worry about that too much. They just want results, so. I, you know, I, does Shaw help in that way? Maybe, but I don't know. Maybe Yelich should learn Spanish. Mm, he, can, yes. he can mingle more in the clubhouse. Learn the, uh, the, the Spanish version of Hotel California that Manny Pena sings every year in spring training. <laughs> that was actually a topic that came up on Kevin Goldstein's podcast this week where they were talking about uh, which players, Spanish speaking players learning English and then the other way around. And he brought up that very few English-speaking players, American players, bothered to learn Spanish, but there were a few, and he brought up Alex Bregman as one who he learned Spanish specifically so he could communicate with his teammates. And, yeah, it would be nice to see more of that. We have reporters that do that. I know uh, Sophia did that, yeah. and other people I've I've seen have learned Spanish specifically so they can you know, communicate with so many of the players in the game now speak Spanish as their first language. By the way, did you guys see the film Mushnik crap today? Yeah, that was real bad. That was real, real bad. Basically, yeah, it was basically Gary Anderson. um, No, not Gary Anderson. Gary Gary Sanchez. Sanchez. (laughs) Glaber Torres. It was about Gary Sanchez and Glaber Torres. Somebody's been asking Andy Schaff a lot of bad football (laughs) questions lately. We've been talking more basketball lately, but yeah, anyway. And there's the Andy Schaff mention. (laughs) 
uh, if we didn't get it in with Ricky Weeks. Anyway, so Steve, the issue was Phil Mushnick uh, wrote a crappy column basically criticizing, I forget which was which. Criticizing Sanchez for uh, speaking through an interpreter. Right. And then he he's like, Glaber Torres tried to do a thing in English and criticized his ability to do that too. So basically it was a damned if you do, damned if you don't thing. And and he works for the New York Post, so pretty that, clearly racist. A, and yeah, that's some bad. old school racism right there. That yeah. that really has decades uh, of support behind it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because it he, is- he tried to link it to like Gary Sanchez has been with the Yankees for seven years and he hasn't bothered to learn English. Uh, just like he hasn't bothered to learn how to improve or something like that. It was it was really bad. And the thing is, Gary Sanchez does understand and speak English, but when you're speaking to, say, the New York media, maybe you don't want to do that in your second or third language. And yeah, so. God, I wouldn't want to speak to him, period. I wouldn't want to, like... <laughs> right. No, because, I mean, look at, look at how much stuff gets distorted. There was a thing, I just saw um, Marcus Stroman was complaining yesterday about the way that they handled the the rain situation in New York and the way that the, the headline writers wrote it up made it sound like he was some sort of malcontent or whatever. And it was like, no, literally he's concerned about player safety and what was going on wasn't safe. And so it just, yeah, it's just nonsense. Good old New York media. All right. That will conclude the offensive section of I guess offensive and offensive section of the <laughs> podcast. Now we got to we, we turn to the pitching side because obviously that's also been the story so far this year. Just amazing starting pitching. I think what they they made it through a full turn in the rotation with nobody allowing more than an earned run. Right? Uh, was that the stat that was out today? It's Which was yeah. So it was five innings and an earned run. I think was the the combination there. So you know, obviously you're kind of selective endpoints there, but there's really no doubt that the starting pitching has really been great. And obviously kind of the main reason why the Brewers are off. such such a solid start. Uh, Corbin Burns specifically, you know, me Corbin Burns fan is going to hype it up, but I mean, he's been legitimately great. He followed up that great first start against the twins with another impressive outing. Uh, but he's kind of struggling for the run support. He's, he's zero and zero in decisions because the Brewers can't seem to score in his starts. That leads us to our next Patreon question from Adam Post. He's asking, is Corbin Burns becoming Jacob deGrom? And the fact, I guess, immaculate pitching stats, but minimal run support and a strangely poor team win-loss record in his starts. I guess, Steve, is that DeGromish or maybe more like vintage Ben Sheets? Well, yeah, we always have Ben Sheets to look back on for that. Well, he <laughs> would get the L's, though. Yeah, he that's true. hung with the loss. Uh, every time so so getting out there with the no decision is actually an improvement um i mean i guess it could be like Degrom, except he's on a team that's actually going to like manage his health in a way that makes sense <laughs> right so i mean we at least have that that going for us when we watch these games we don't have to worry about you know burns getting blown out just because somebody wants to see him be a tough guy and pitch nine innings and in, you know 40 degrees in april when it's raining so um yeah, you know, it happens. Pitchers have runs like this. What what year was it that Zach Davies led the league in wins? Mm-hmm. It was like 2017, right. 2018, somewhere in there. And didn't he have one of those portions of the season where he turned into a complete, like, you know, uh, batting practice pitcher for a while? I mean, Davies always went through that. Mm-hmm. So it, it's like, you know, it, it's just 
one of those things that you can't control. It's just how it tends to fall. So, I, I mean, the ideal there is Burns is going to keep you in those games and you're probably going to squeak out a couple, you know, one nothing, 2-1 wins with them pitching as well. You know, you don't want to have Corbin Burns on the mound and then you score eight runs and he, you know, pitches a shutout. Like, great. You know, it still counts as one in the win column. So, <laughs> I, you know, I guess it's it's bad luck, but it's, you know, two starts and it happens, especially for a team that wasn't scoring runs. Of yeah. course, he's going to have no run support. Nobody had run support until the last two games. And people freaking out about the fact that he was pulled in like mid 80s for pitches or whatever. I was going to bring that up, too. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to need to get over this. Seriously, this year. <laughs> Pitchers are going to be limited in terms of how much teams are willing to run them out there because they don't want to run the risk of overworking them and destroying them in coming off of this bizarre season we dealt with last year. So they're going to do things that you're just going to shake your head at. And I don't know, like either you can spend all season being mad about that or <laughs> you can say, well, the Brewers have a pretty good uh, track record managing pitcher health under David Stearns, right? I think we can we can all agree that they've really done a pretty good job with that. They haven't had the massive amounts of sh- surgeries some teams have had. The biggest problem that they had was a fluke where Jimmy Nelson slid back into first base on his wrong shoulder and screwed up his career. Like other than that, it's all been, you know, pretty normal stuff and a, a fairly minimal amount of it. So as long as that is the case, we, I think they've earned the benefit of the doubt in terms of managing pitcher workloads at this point, right? I, I think we just sort yeah. of have to say they know what they're doing. This was not a surprise. So the fact that people are freaking the hell out about Woodruff and Burns being pulled after like 75 or 80 pitches is just mind-blowing to me. It's like, did you not listen to a word anybody said this spring and this offseason about how they were going to manage the pitchers. And it wasn't just the Brewers like, either. It, everybody's no, doing it's this. literally everybody. And <laughs> just to freak out, like, oh, why'd you take Burns out after seven innings? And that, I mean, literally, they were just w- upset that Devin Williams gave up that home run, right? Like, that's, if they had went on to win one to nothing, nobody says a damn thing about that, mm-hmm. whatever. But, like, Nine times out of ten, you can't fault them either for going from Burns to Williams to Hader, right? Like that's the automatic win that's formula. The, that's what you want. Yes. That's the setup. Yes. That's that is yes. the path you want to take to win a game. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It doesn't mean that it was a flawed plan. Just like back in 2019 with the the wild card game, they had it set up to do what they wanted to do, and they made it through. And Josh Hader gave up the lead. Like, you know what? Yeah. It happens. I, I, everybody, you need to get over the fact that pitchers will not go over a hundred pitches this year. Just put that in your brain. And they might it's at some point, we might see it a little bit, but teams are going to back off of pitchers a lot this year. They're going to find opportunities to back off of them because they have to, if, unless they're yeah. going to take them up to, you know, 230 innings, which nobody's been doing in the last, you know, 10 years anyway. Right. No, right. And I mean, the, with the way bullpens are used now, the way, you know, pitchers go multiple innings out of the pen, you know, in a way that they hadn't for, God, would it have been a good 25 years, 30 right. years, you know, it was mid 80s probably when all that got locked in and everybody had a very specific role. I mean, you don't need guys, you know, to, to go that deep because the way you can use relievers to cover innings, it, it's just more effective now. So, I, you know, I'd rather see, 
Corbin Burns making every start possible this year, then, uh, you know, they, they, they squeeze out a couple extra innings early and then they got to shut him down for a period because he's, he's clearly going to, you know, eclipse whether it's pitch totals or inning totals or however they're going to track it this year. Um, as far as the amount of work that they can get before, you know, again, he's probably going to have a phantom injury at some point anyways. <laughs> right. Like everybody will. Everybody's probably going to get a break. Everybody's going to get skipped at least one turn in the rotation. Um, you know, and it'd be better if it's only one and it's a phantom phantom injury as opposed to like an actual injury that's going to keep him out for a long time. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and we saw too in the last week with Woodruff and Burns, like they agreed with it. They said, yeah, I was kind of out of gas at 75, 80 pitches. So I'm glad he pulled me when he did. So I think that just should kind of put all the criticism to rest there, at it least just for now. It means that they're mentally weak, James. They're mentally uh, weak. Is, and is that it? Yes. Okay. They, they don't want the ball uh, in the clutch moments. I think Got we it. have to argue about the definition of masculinity. <laughs> I think that's what it comes down to. Can we not this week? You guys can do that later. That's fine. But I want to move on. Uh, I've got another couple of questions here. We Nobody have one. can see that I'm I'm currently doing curls. Yeah, while yeah. We, uh, talk on here. Hey, Steve, it's not a video out. podcast. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, been I know. That's doing what I said. crunches Nobody the entire time. It. Yeah. Here exactly. we go. I'm going to start my squats. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Drinking your way shake. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Steve deadlifts 500 pounds. Our next uh, Patreon question comes from Joshua Moser. He says, does the important item for next offseason now become extending either Woodruff or Burns? Are there any comps to model from in terms of a contract, I guess? At some point, these guys are going to get expensive. So, Ryan, I guess, when would you start thinking extensions for Brennan Woodruff and or Corbin Burns? I mean, I would have already been doing it, and I'm sure they've already looked at it and have a number in mind and have, you know, talked about this with the player's agent and the fact that it hasn't happened yet suggests that they're probably not going to do it for a big discount and it's probably going to be more of a uh, of a deal that ends up being closer to it's not going to look like the Freddie Peralta deal we'll put it that way where they got him at a, a severe discount and it really was just about Freddie Peralta locking himself up for what was it like 15 million guaranteed but now he's under Brewers control for like possibly six or seven years. So it, it's not going to be like that. You're not going to get a steep discount on these guys, especially Woodruff. Woodruff's already into arbitration. So mm-hmm. the, the things have definitely moved up in that point and both are pretty rapidly ascending the ranks of, you know, pitchers within the game and people are noticing that. So I would think that they're going to have to do something really pretty significant to sign either one. And that then it really does come down to how interested the player is in locking up with the team. And it, that's always hard to know. Right. And, you know, pitcher contracts extensions are always, I guess, a little scarier than maybe than uh, position player ones, too, just because the threat of injury is always there right so i guess any hesitation to locking in either one to like a four or five year contract at this point i mean woodruff is going to be interesting since he's already 28 years old mm-hmm. yeah you know and i think so what's he looking at 30 is when he hits free agency yes yeah because I mean, he, he'll so, be his age 30 season will be his free agent year because this was 
uh, arbitration one, 29 will be arbitration two. I guess 30 will be our arbitration three. Still, I mean, I guess the point there is he's looking at one big contract. Yeah. He needs to I make mean, his money in whatever his he next needs to make his signs. money at, at that time. Um, so I, you know, I think it'd be really hard. Maybe you can get him, you know, if you kind of lock in the, the arbitration numbers, you can get an extra year out of Woodruff and he hits, you know, free agency at like 32 um, for his one, you know, really big contract. But I would imagine if he's, if he's rolling like he is now um, at that age, you know, he's going to have to cash in if he really wants to make some, some money. So I think Woodruff is going to be a tough one to do that with. And I, I don't even, how old is Burns? He's also a little bit older because he was a college guy, but he was drafted a couple of years after Woodruff. He's probably 25, 26. Yeah, I'm trying to look it up. <laughs> I've got These it. are the things we should have researched. Yeah, he's, he's 26. Age 26 season this year, yeah. You know, so I mean, that's actually probably kind of a similar um, similar situation for him as well. So, I mean, I think that's, that's probably going to play against the Brewers unless they're willing to basically... They're going to they're gonna be arbitration contracts. You're basically going to guarantee that arbitration money, and then the Brewers have to decide if they want to like invest pretty significant dollars beyond that. So, like Brian, like Ryan said, it's not going to be a discount contract if they if they're able to do it. So maybe one guy. I don't know. I could see him do it with maybe one of them. I think that, yeah, I think it's probably more likely than not that they do get one of them locked in beyond their current control years. But exactly what that's going to look like at this point is hard to guess. And it really is going to come down to like who who just wants to stay and do and not like hit the very top of the market for what they could possibly potentially make. And that, you know, that's a personal decision that these guys have to make themselves. Right. And I also don't think you're going to see many extensions done before the next CBA is done because we don't really know what the financial landscape and what have you is going to look like. Right. So we're kind of in a holding pattern here for the next year or so. while We try to figure that out, too. Right. Yeah. Unless a, a team is willing to give a guy basically like a market value gobsmacking contract uh, that like what the, the Padres did with Tatis. Right. You got Tatis, you've got Lindor, right? Like those are market market value deals that are done now. But right. Like I imagine if you offered Brandon Woodruff a hundred million over the next, you know, five or six years, uh, he'd take it. But I don't think the Brewers would in any way, shape, or form do that. So Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh last couple of questions here. We've got one from Darren Jones. He says, Well, the first week of the season is often rife with overreaction. No kidding. Is there anything you've seen so far, either with the Brewers or elsewhere in baseball, that has surprised you? I guess, Steve, let's start with you. Uh, the Reds in first place? <laughs> I mean... Yeah, they're now, on fire now, granted, early, yeah. Yeah, now, now granted, they, they got to beat up on the Pirates. Uh, so I, I guess you can say that maybe it's not real. Hey, now, just the, the Cubs have just had six games against the Pirates, and they're under 500, so... That's true, but the Cubs are garbage, so uh, <laughs> they, you know, they could just deal with that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, you know, I think around baseball, I mean, you know, and I can't say I'm, like, eyes on everything in baseball, but the Reds thing is is goofy and stood out to me. 
I think it's specifically it's meant to torture their fans because last year they had the great pitching and they couldn't hit. And this year so far, they're scoring 8.25 runs per game. And it's like, yeah. they, and they didn't, it's not like they, they added people to their offense. If anything, they no. lost people from their offense. So yeah, they're, they're just like torturing their fans with, oh, if this would all come together at one time, instead of doing this at separate times like this, then, you know, maybe they could have made a run in the playoffs, but that's what happens when you have Trevor Bauer on your team. He curses you. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> as far as the Brewers are concerned, I, you know, anytime Devin Williams gives up a home run, that's a surprise. Yeah. I mean, uh, but if you would have said, you know, the the starters are going to come out and they're going to be lights out and, you know, the offense is shaky to begin with, I don't think anybody would look at that and say, like, whoa, slow down. Like, that can't possibly happen with this team. I mean, that seems like completely in line with what, you know, everybody saw as uh, the the potential strengths and weaknesses of the team. You know, when you watch it in, like I said, a pretty compressed time frame, obviously uh, it stands out more when you see a bunch of like zeros and batting averages um, and stuff like that. But uh, like I said, I, yeah, for the Brewers, Devin Williams coming out and giving up that home run would have been like the only thing that I was like truly shocked at. Right. How about you? I mean, just in baseball in general, Eh, nothing's particularly surprising. It's actually, you know, did you see Mike Trout is already the fan graphs war leader? Yeah. He's got one war already. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so <laughs> you know, like nature's healing, like everything's getting back into its correct order and everything. Well, and I think I, I thought I saw somebody who's like, Oh, is this Mike Trout's best like week of baseball ever? And I think it was like 20th. in his career. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that Mike Trout, something he's, he's had some good runs in his past. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, even stuff like that, you're like, wow, yeah, he's really, you know, knocking the shit out of the ball. It's like, well, yeah, that's what he does. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I know New York fans are freaking out because the Yankees aren't off to a hot start. You know, so, the, yeah. again, baseball yeah. healing. Like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's sad for them. Ex- expectations and, and they're stumbling yeah. out of the gate. So that it's fun to watch. Uh, it, it's fun to see happen. Um, but, yeah, it's. I mean, because I think even when you look across the the divisions, it's pretty much chalk at this point, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the, the Dodgers are up a game on the Padres, and the Reds is, is weird. Like, they are they were 6-2 and two coming into today. But it's also in the division where you'd say, like, well, you know, three to four teams could win this. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely thought Cincinnati was a notch below the other three. But, yeah, it, sure. it's not it's not stupid. It's it's more torturing them than anything, which I definitely can get behind. So (laughs) yeah, I think over in the American league, uh, you know, like the Orioles aren't terrible. (laughs) They will be, but they're not terrible. It's not games. Yeah, exactly. It's nine games. Like, no, everything is kind of chalky and it's just playing out largely the way you'd expect. Uh, if you're in a fantasy league and you're trying to find saves, you're pulling your hair out just because, no team wants to commit to a damn closer, and it just it, it's very, very frustrating from that perspective. So which is baseball now. That yeah. that is just baseball now. Like most teams don't have a, a set closer. If you look at the closer chart on uh fan graphs on roster resource, it's just like a shit show. It's an absolute shit show. So yeah. Yeah. Alex Colomay not off to the best start with the Minnesota Twins. They're kind of struggling without Glenn Perkins there. Um, 
How about the Padres throwing a no-hitter first time ever in their franchise this week? Joe Musgrove, was, uh, baby. Joe Musgrove. His first Was it his first start, too? I'm not sure. Mm, I think it was no, his first home was, start. Second. Okay. His, his yeah. first home start, yeah. Right. But, you know, I, I'm also in favor of any time a pitcher leaves Pittsburgh and is suddenly awesome. So good on Joe Musgrove for that. Well, and the, uh, the really cool <laughs> thing about that, too, is he's from San Diego. Yeah, so he's a he San Diego native. Home. Yeah. He was pumped to go to the Padres and ends up throwing the first no-hitter in, uh, what, the 40-plus years of Padres baseball. No, they're, so. they're an expansion team the same time the uh, Brewers were. They came in in uh, 69. 50 years then. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Over 50 years. Yeah. So that, that was pretty wild. Always fun to see a, a no-hitter. And I feel like you get those earlier in the year, too, when the office was isn't quite clicking yet, but well, the Brewers uh, have almost had three of them already. So, (laughs) and they've had one almost thrown against them or two almost like (laughs) taken deep already. Every Every, every game is a no hitter. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, I, I, yeah, I, if I could bet on the Brewers being no hit this year, I I might take that bet too. Uh, just the way things (laughs) have looked, but, uh, yeah, I, I thought that was pretty wild. Um, you know, last Sunday, Shohei Watani's first start where he also rocketed a home run while he's also throwing 100 miles an hour on the mound. That's pretty cool. Uh, hopefully, Joe Madden doesn't break him because he sure as hell tried in that game to <laughs> leave him in. But, uh, yeah, that'll be fun to watch, too. And if he keeps doing that, he'll be AL MVP probably. So there you go. But I would definitely enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun to see. Yeah, I'll, you know all three of us are not the type to kind of make overreactions on the first week or so of games. So it's kind of hard to pick and choose, but those are at least cool moments to see. Um, and let, we got one last question here to wrap up. It comes from PJ Wessels on Patreon. And it's a yeah. good one to kind of wrap up on. He's just asking which game this week has been your favorite. So I, I guess uh, let's, let's take it from the Cubs series and the Cardinal series, Ryan, which one of those games were your favorite this week? So I really did enjoy the Sunday game against the Cardinals where they just put it on them early and coasted. And there was a you know little bit of drama at various points, yeah. but it was pretty much the, the game was sealed. It never really got into any sort of real danger. And so I would I would say that. But that Wednesday game against the Cubs uh, yeah. for a variety of reasons. One, it was an excellent game where there was a bunch of back and forth. Lorenzo Cain's two home runs late in mm-hmm. the game to push him ahead. And because it was so beautiful, I took my computer outside and worked in my garage and watched it <laughs> on my, my big screen in my garage. And so like the, the setup for that was just beyond ideal and wonderful working with the, uh, with the TV on and the brewers going. So that was good. <clears throat> Enjoyed that one a lot. Yeah. Steve, you have a favorite game from this last week. I mean, I, I enjoyed when they scored runs on Saturday. <laughs> just, just get just started. Run it was deep. like, yeah. ah, yeah. Not, not only did they hit home runs, they were, you know, multi-run shots when they did it. Yeah, I, I just, I, I enjoyed that. Um, you know, when you're sitting there waiting for some kind of offensive breakout, like that was great to watch Kane on Wednesday, basically mm-hmm. like carry the team on his back. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's fun. It's fun to get those wins, but you don't feel relief because you're like, Lorenzo Kane can't do that every day, you know. <laughs> so that's why when they finally had a game where they scored a bunch of runs, I was like, okay, this this is fun. Now now I feel like we're we're in the baseball season, uh, having a little bit more fun with this than than what had been happening before. So 
And yeah, you know, again, putting it on St. Louis, especially after the way the Thursday game went, you know, where I, I think we were all like, they, they could pull this thing out. They can do it. And then all of a sudden it just turned on. Yeah. Was it the Arenado home run? Yep. Yeah. Mm. So and that was another late game situation where, yeah. Cause you know, you guys are talking about how Arenado is going to struggle in St. Mm-hmm. Louis. So good, yeah. good call. Yeah. Yeah. Way to go, He's guys. picked up a hit in all nine games as a Cardinal so far. Yeah. So way to go. Well, Thanks it's not that. my fault Devil Magic exists. I didn't will it into being. <laughs> right. I, I think, you know, Ryan's right. It's always nice, especially for those Sunday, Sunday afternoon games, to get the plethora of runs early, and then you can just kind of chill and relax the rest of your Sunday afternoon without having to stress too much, right? Uh, so that was nice, but I, I would say Wednesday is probably my favorite uh, just because you have the excellent pitching performances on top of that. No offense to Brett Anderson today, but he, he, it was an excellently pitched game and then a crazy last couple of innings, right? And that, that to me is like the perfect game. So yeah, it, that was your Corbin it, it Burns was start, wasn't it? It was. Yes, yeah. it was. So obviously I'm biased in that regard too. And, but yeah, it, you know, both of you guys mentioned Lorenzo Kane just picking up the team and doing it all himself. You know, you, you don't expect Lorenzo Kane to hit two home runs in a game. Probably won't happen again this year. Uh, and the fact that it was coming against the Cubs and it was just such a back and forth, I think was, it, it just made it one of the more memorable get memorable games so far this oh, year. Oh, wait, no, that was the Woodruff one where he took the... Oh, no, yeah, the you're right. It was Woodruff. Inning. It was Woodruff, not Burns. Yeah. Burns started on Thursday and was also really good. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's right. Yeah, it was the Woodruff start. Either way, just a, a great game. Probably one of my favorites this year outside of maybe opening day for the same reasons, right? Um, it, I always thought it was funny, too, that the Brewers have two wins in the extra innings. They're 2-0 and in extra innings with the help of the extra base runner. So, hey, maybe if they just could start every inning with an extra base runner, they wouldn't have to worry <laughs> about that so much. And things would be great. But We'll just petition baseball for that. Brewers yeah, exactly. The guy in second. Exactly. You know, but those Brewers and Cubs games, too, where neither team could hit. It was like, can we just start this earlier? Because we know it's going to go to the 10th anyway. So can we just, like, start the extra runner in, like, the 7th inning just so somebody can get some offense going? But uh, Well, I do think they should definitely allow uh, the last runner to make an out to run for uh, Dan Vogelbach. (laughs) (laughs) The big Dan exemption. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that is a perfectly reasonable softball rule that I think that they should port over. Uh, that would work. I, I'm in favor of that, too. I love myself some Big Dan, but yeah, that that would be a better advantage. All right, so that's all we have for Patreon questions this week. A reminder, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash tailgate. Two bucks a month, you get the question priority. Five bucks a month, you also get the minor league extra on top of that. And we do have a couple new patrons to shout out. So who do we have joining up this week, Ryan? Well, so Jake Brohaska actually joined the week before, but you guys missed it because I'm the one that usually pulls those down from the Patreon. <laughs> so when I was gone, we missed Jake Prohaska. I almost sent you guys a message about that, but I forgot. Sorry. Um, yeah, no, we were too busy reading the, the comments on the, the rating <laughs> reviews. So, yeah, I, I did really enjoy that, by the way. That was fantastic. <laughs> uh, and then our second new patron this week is Noodle Papa. <laughs> Noodle Papa. Welcome, Welcome. Noodle Papa. I, I have questions about the name. Is he a father of pasta? Like, I don't... Well... Which, what kind of noodles? I don't know. A, is this a Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster situation? Uh, maybe. Maybe. We'll, we'll see. It, once Noodle Pasta, once he's 
Noodle Papa. Sorry. Noodle <laughs> Papa. Don't want to get your name wrong. Because Ryan always gets the names wrong. Uh, that's why Noodle Papa. That's why Steven and uh, JP took that away from me. Like in <laughs> we were doing this, they were like, no, we're gonna have we're gonna have JP. No, do I think it it's funny JP that you butcher can, everybody's names. Can so pronounce it we're, right. we're gonna keep going with that. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. JP was a historian. We figured that he could handle just like odd names that came up. Oh yeah, tell us the the lineage of the East German heritage of so and so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but well, thanks, Jake, and thanks, Noodle Papa, for signing up. Uh, we're looking forward to your questions. In the meantime, that'll wrap things up for this week. Don't forget to subscribe, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, anywhere else you listen to the podcast. Hit subscribe, and while you're there, please do leave us a review to help other people find us. Thanks again, Steve, for stepping in, pinch hitting for us this week. Uh, I think we're planning on Paul being back next week, so whole gang will be back. In the meantime, stay well, and we'll see you next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.